Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The CV CV Report. TPS Report. The CV Report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> yeah. I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, right. take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and today's episode is going to be inspirational. We'll talk about a viral picture and viral video that is making everyone inspired who sees it. He also has their names etched in golden plates on his laces, so he very much runs for these three individuals. And if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a few of those words for this picture are never give up. And we'll talk to a Marine Corps veteran that's a former combat correspondent, has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, knows NFL players, and continues to make a difference as he fights for those who are homeless. And when you really add up all the the ripple effects uh, of somebody who either doesn't come back or comes back injured, um, it, it really affects the entire country. And so... I really felt like I needed to do something, not to compensate, but to make it whole. We'll hear the inspirational story of Marine Corps vet Micah Sneed. It's all coming up next. All right, and as usual, at the top of the CV rapport, we run through the top of the headlines with reporter Libby Howe, who is making a small collection of uh, single men whose hearts may soon be broken. And how's everything going in your world? (laughs) Well, it's going well. Sorry to call out your business here at the top of the pod. I just, you know, you, you you fascinate me because you're young and you're still living the dream in the big city. And I do none of that. I'm very boring in comparison. I mean, some of them are veterans. It's like relevant to our, our job sphere, I guess. Nice. All right. Well, what's going on in the world of veteran news? So Micah Herndon, former Marine Corps lead machine gunner, crawled across the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Don't know if you saw that there are a bunch of viral photos and video. Yeah, yeah, just beautiful pictures. Yeah, yep. And Herndon had the names of three friends, two Marines and a British journalist, written on his hands. And he explained that he runs for these three individuals. Very touching. He also has their names etched in golden plates on his laces. So he very much runs for these three individuals. Herndon's goal was to qualify for the New York Marathon, and even though his race time wasn't quite within the qualifying window, probably because he had to crawl to the finish line, he was surprised with the New York Marathon race slot. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I take it he's a new runner or he's new to the world of marathons because, I mean, you know, it was quite a 
it was quite a physical effort on his behalf to you finish would, the, you know, You would race. think so, that maybe, maybe if you had run those a few more times, you would know when your body's going to hit that wall. But at the same time, maybe you don't. Maybe. Right. Well, I mean, you're a rock climber and you're a runner as well. I mean. Not a that, marathon, but do yeah. some running. Yeah. That, uh, that level of fatigue that kicks in and the burning and the lactic acid buildup in your quads. You can only imagine what that's like after three, three and a half hours of yeah. running. And it made, if for nothing else, I mean, made for the most viral photos of the week and just truly inspirational to see him crawl, you know, hands and knees across the finish line, never giving up. And I think that that's whenever we see somebody doing something like that, whether it's a marathon or, or, or some other kind of road race, like when you see that level of exhaustion and they're still pushing it to the limit, it, it should remind us all, you know, drive on, man, never give it up. All right, and speaking of never giving up, uh, they're never giving up in Congress on hopes of medical marijuana. Talk to me about the latest. There's a new bill in the House and Senate that would allow veterans to use medical marijuana in states where it is legal and would let the VA prescribe it to them. It's called the Veterans Medical Marijuana Safe Harbor Act. And as of the bill's filing, 33 states permit medical marijuana use. So in those states, you would be able to pre- uh, prescribe marijuana to veterans. The bill would also allocate $15 million to study marijuana's effectiveness in treating chronic pain. Mm. Yeah, looking a little deeper into our article here at ConnectingVets.com, it looks like the bills are sponsored by Representative Barbara Lee of California and Senator Brian Schatz of Hawaii, and they're both in committees. I wonder if those two are freshmen or not. And the only reason I ask, right, is because how many times have we covered this? Right. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't pull off a bill last year the VA Medical Marijuana Research Authorization Act or something of 2018, they couldn't put that one forward. And that didn't even talk about giving vets weed. It was that just was, research. Yeah, that was just straight science. Yeah. Like, can we agree on letting science do it? And I'm going to say shame on them again if they can't put this one you know, past the finish line because I've literally covered this story a dozen times and actually gone to Capitol Hill, what, like two years ago, when the American Legion, AMVETS, uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars, when they all signed the letter saying, yes, we want the VA to do the research. I mean, the voices of a million veterans have been heard, and yet they can't seem to cross the finish line with a stupid bill that just says let science do it. My recommendation to the bill sponsors here is that they might want to nix the part where you know, they're authorizing the VA to prescribe weed because, you know, we all know until science says it's okay, the VA and the government won't do it. Well, take the damn handcuffs off and let the government do it. Let science speak. And there, that's my rant for the day. I have spoken. <laughs> Sorry. What else you got? Well, the VA recently released its suicide prevention toolkit specifically for former Guard and Reserve members. So we have all of these toolkits from the VA for active duty members and for veterans. This is specifically for Guard and Reserve. And there's a lot of overlap, a lot of resources that hit all across the board. But this is just it's kind of a a demographic of military personnel that hasn't been as recognized because they're Guard and Reserve members. So the resources include a veterans crisis line, something called Make the Connection, Vet Centers Readjustment Counseling Services, a suicide safety plan app, something called Virtual Hope Box app, and Rocky Mountain MIRECC for suicide prevention educational resources. That's just a few of them. There's a whole Hmm. list of resources that are specifically targeted and paying attention to the needs of Guard and Reserve members. Like this Make the Connection one, Guard and Reserve members don't necessarily live in close proximity to their unit. They're not around their unit members all the time. So Make the Connection actually helps you find the other Guard and Reserve members in your immediate area 
kind of like Tinder for guard people and not with the same intention, but it can <laughs> locate people near you that you yeah. might want to match up with. And if we've learned anything from the coverage of suicide prevention and the things that are really working, it's that having a tribe, having a group around right. you, knowing some people that kind of do the same things you do or have gone through the same shared experiences, um, that makes all the world a difference. And it's really nice to see they're extending it out to the guard and the reserve. Something I've been really interested to know uh, that I'll share with you here is that I've been doing this documentary and I've been talking with a lot of veterans that were combat vets. And you know, it sounds like, okay, well, that's the, that's the demographic that's really going to be affected by suicide, right? Because you're at the tip of the sword, you're seeing the stuff that, you know, you can't unsee. That's what people think, yeah. That's what people think, you know, drives suicidal ideations. But in each and every one of the interviews I've done, man, they are so quick to point out that trauma is trauma and drama can be trauma. It's not exclusive to warfighters. You go through a bad divorce. You get the death of a loved one. You get the death of a parent, the death of a child. You, you get any kind of loss. And it can that can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And having resources like this that are for the Guard and the Reserve, even those that have never been federally activated or deployed, is so beneficial. Because, right, like, right. so it's so nice to see them do this. Libby Howe, as always, good to have you at the top of the pod. Thanks, Phil. All right, our guest today is a Marine Corps veteran, and this interview is going to combine all kinds of interesting things. Uh, we're going to talk about some NFL players. We're going to talk about climbing mountains in Africa. We're going to talk about helping the homeless, and we're going to talk about uh, taking pictures from the front lines of war and an incredible background and a truly fascinating story. Our guest today, Marine Corps veteran Micah Sneed. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Phil. Thank you. When my editor brought me the story idea, she was like, you know what? You have to talk to this guy. You know, he's an OIF veteran and he's from Combat Camera. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Combat correspondent. Say no more, brother, fellow <laughs> Combat Camera. I was a FOJO on a carrier in the Navy and always, always wanted to get stationed at Little Creek and go to the front lines. But when I was in during the 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of action going on and, um, you did it. So tell me about your background. Before we get into this incredible mountain climbing NFL player story, just share with me kind of you in a nutshell. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I grew up in uh, Walterboro, South Carolina, just down I-95 uh, and uh, gave college a try after high school and had a really good time, but didn't study quite as much as uh, one needs to to pass classes and stay enrolled. And so turned to the Marine Corps, uh, looking for some other opportunities, uh, and just found kind of a whole new world and learned a lot about myself and about work ethic. Um, was really fortunate to have a job like public affairs and, and as a combat correspondent and really the ability to just learn about what Marines do and, and who they are and where they're from and to be able to tell that story um, and send that information you know, back home from deployments or wherever we happen to be. A, a couple of deployments for me for Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, first to Kuwait in 2003 and then to Iraq in 2005. And again, it was just, it was a real pleasure. It's a, it's an interesting job. It's pretty unique in the military um, to, to be able to travel around and, and meet all the young men and women uh, that serve and try to help tell their story um, back to the folks who, who don't see it. Um, 
uh, kind of right there on the front lines. Uh, after that, I got out and uh, finally, you know, much much more studious in my uh, second attempt at college. I <laughs> uh, went to the University of South Carolina and uh, finished up a Bachelor of Arts in History uh, and then uh, went out west to Colorado to get a master's degree in public administration at the University of Colorado in Denver. Uh, from there, uh, really fell in love with service of a different type in uh, housing and homelessness uh, and uh, came up as a case manager at the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless and then went on a couple other jobs along the way. I moved back to my, my wife's uh, hometown uh, just outside of Philadelphia, um, have two little girls now uh, and continue to work in, in housing and homelessness for the Corporation for Supportive Housing. We're a national nonprofit uh, that works to advance uh, solutions to homelessness and just kind of having a great time. It, it's a dream job. I get to travel all across the country and, and work alongside people who are doing uh, really difficult work uh, in the face of long odds, but do it with great perseverance. So it feels very similar to uh, the military background of, you know, having a, a very close-knit tribe of everybody kind of working toward the same goal with, with lots of different jobs and, and folks from all different walks of life kind of working toward the same mission. Yeah, man. And that's a great summation of really a storied career. And I want to unpack some of that with you and just get a couple glimpses at some different chapters because you said a lot there, brother, and, and you said it very well. So tip of the cap, first of all, to a Marine that's as well-spoken. You didn't use <laughs> one F-bomb. Um, I'm really surprised at that because uh, the Marines, you know. And don't be surprised if throughout this interview you're going to hear some service rivalry ball busting because uh, I know we're the same department. But That's know. what we do, right. <laughs> um, let's go back to OIF. Uh, combat correspondent, two tours. Um, you got any cool moments you remember? Because I know what a lot of the listeners may not understand about being a combat correspondent is is when you're on the public affairs side of war, um, you see some front lines things, and then sometimes you're taking the media, you know, the national media from the states and Europe, and you're escorting them around, basically making sure they don't get blown up, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. you, you guys have the guns and the cameras. Um, any cool memories stand out? You ever escort somebody that was, you know, pretty cool? Or uh... yeah, I, I tell you, one of the best experiences we had, um, honestly, well, uh, two quick ones or one quick one, maybe we'll see. Um, the, the first time I deployed, it was with uh, a Marine um, fighter squadron, and you know, you, when you get assigned to a unit, they don't know you, right? And so. Nothing more intimidating than walking into a, a, a group of Marines, and, and especially when you're just holding a camera, and they're like, wait, what do you do? Um, and so trying to get, like, some credibility with the guys. And, and one of the first things that I did in, in 2003, and, and these were all a bunch of young Marines, most of whom had never deployed, none of whom had ever deployed uh, for combat. Um, but we did just kind of a like a message home that ran in the local paper around on Valentine's Day or the week of Valentine's Day. And, and a bunch of the Marines just got to put like a little message. And it, it felt like something out of high school, um, you know, where like your, your high school paper might run like a message, you know, to your sweetheart, like Tracy loves Brad or whatever. Yeah. But I tell you what, nothing bought me more credibility than, uh, you know, being able to do something for Marine spouses. And, and then I just got so much gratitude after that, that it was like every door was open, like anybody that I wanted to talk to or write about, they were more than happy to see me after I'd managed to hook them up with a little love for their, their families and their spouses back home. 
But another uh, one episode that I really loved from the job was in 2005, we facilitated a direct satellite link with the Jimmy Kimmel show, um, which was, you know, back then early goings, um, not the, uh, you know, the ratings or YouTube bonanza that it is today. Uh, but the Kimmel show did, I want to say we did two uh, around Thanksgiving and around Christmas, um, direct links uh, where we got a bunch of Marines together from all over the place. And Jimmy had talked to him uh, and uh, just kind of had some back and forth and was able to have him alive on his show. Uh, and then they sent, like, some tremendous care packages that the Marines were able to dig into. And so that was really fun to, to be able to, like, have that platform and to be able to make that work. I complain about the holidays, about the mall and parking and those packing peanuts that come out of the bus. But you feel silly when you think about the men and the women who are spending their holiday in Iraq this year. With us live now from the al Air Base just outside Fallujah, our adopted group of Marines. There they are, the 2nd Marine Aircraft Marine. Good morning and um, happy almost holidays. Just having the opportunity to facilitate being able to highlight the the Marines that were out there doing that work was just really special and it was uh, a couple of years later I was actually listening to Jimmy Kimmel on the Howard Stern show. And a Marine who I knew, his father called in and said, hey, Jimmy, you know, years ago you did this thing and I was able to see my son, you know, on TV in combat. And it was just really special. And I just wanted to say thanks. And, and it kind of passed without probably much notice, but it had a big impact on me because it was just sort of like a reminder of how important it is to do the work and the families that are out there and, and even the folks who maybe aren't connected to somebody who's in the service or deployed. Uh, but to give them the opportunity to see what what the lives are like and to make that connection is is really special. And I was always proud of being able to help with that. Very cool. And you kind of know Jimmy Kimmel. So I imagine in your back pocket, if you ever do need a favor, you could probably <laughs> call his producer and be like, hey, yeah, remember me? I was uh, Marine Corps 2-4 and uh, we run your show. Jimmy's a friend of us. Uh, yeah, put me through to Mr. Kimmel, please. Yeah, friend of the show. That's right. <laughs> friend of the show. Hey, while we're talking about that, showing the showing the view from the front lines, uh, have you seen the movie Combat Obscura? I have not. You know, it's another fellow ComCam guy, and um, he put together what is arguably one of the most gripping visuals of being in Iraq and Afghanistan and the global war on terror from the front lines. And I believe this was uh, Afghanistan. But he like he took his B-roll with him when he got out and stitched it together and made this kind of documentary flick. And uh, did you take any cool videos home? Did you Were you able to keep any great photos from your days over there? Or You know, I was no uh, Navy photographer, so my photos probably weren't much to write home about. But I do have <laughs> like kind of a small collection of, uh, especially stuff that where you see where books have picked up some of your photos um, and used them. Uh, there, you know, there's one that I think about. I think it's like Hammer from Above um, that's kind of details the uh, the air offensive in Iraq. Um, and, and what's great about that is it's not just pictures of pilots and jets, you know, taking off or dropping bombs or whatever, but it's it's the Marines on the ground, uh, the, the kids doing logistics and ordnance and avionics and all that stuff working and, and maintaining the jets um, that I was really proud to, to be able to capture those moments that then get used in, in other publications. Um, I, did, I did get an opportunity. So I was in the air wing. Uh, apologies to the rest of the Marine Corps. 
um, I had it pretty easy, obviously. But I did get an opportunity uh, to get out with an infantry unit uh, during an operation out on the Iraq-Syria border. And, and again, like, you walk into that situation, you don't know anybody, they don't know you, they see you with a rifle and a camera, who are you, what do you want, why are you, you know, and then you just become the camera guy after a couple of days. But um, the opportunity, again, right, like to capture everyday Marines out doing their jobs in the field during a ground assault. Um, and there was a Marine that we lost from that unit. Uh, Daniel Swaim stepped on a, uh, an IED a couple of days into the operation and, and was killed out there. And um, some of the photos that I had of Daniel were either, you know, kind of action shots, kicking in doors or, or other stuff. But there's one that I'll always cherish. Uh, Daniel was uh, playing rock, paper, scissors with another Marine um, over, I think, probably jalapeno cheese spread from an MRE. <laughs> and it's something that, that means a lot to me. Um, but I, to have that opportunity to bring those pictures home and, and to share them with his family, um, pictures that they would never otherwise be able to see. And, you know, I'd, I'd have much rather been able to send those to him um, when he came home, too. But I think the fact that he didn't come home made the pictures really special and, and again, just helped me feel like I was able to contribute in some small way. No doubt. And I'm sure the family's got them on the wall and just, you know, honors your work and just is so thankful for you every day. So uh, great story. Um, I know the combat camera Marine Miles Lugosi that made Combat Obscure also showed some like crazy stuff from the front lines and the downtime especially is kind of our most cherished memories of anybody that's in the military. He also documented he had guys that had discovered, I guess, like, or found hash or something. And, you know, they're blazing some hash out of a Pringles can. Um, hard to believe it happened. But, again, downtime between the front lines and the offensives and stuff. Um, did you ever see anything that was, like, kind of mind-blowing from, you know, being in theater? Or, or was yours a little bit more of a 30,000-foot view and you kind of saw, you know, like a cleaner version of war? Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, I think just the air wing element, you're a little bit removed from some of the insanity of, uh, you know, the ground combat elements. Um, you know, I, I remember one particular female pilot from a helicopter squadron that had a pet lizard that somebody had caught out there. Um, and there was some, you know, lizard and scorpion fights uh, in the desert. Oh, uh, nice. You know, I saw some really fancy smoking pits, um, some double-deckers, you know, that would have like a sunroof and some couches up there. Um, you know, Marines are very creative, uh, as I think a lot of a lot of military are. Um, and, yeah, when you give them uh, nothing to do, they will fill that time, whether it's, um, you know, filling holes with rocks uh, or, you know, lizard and scorpion fights. There's always something like that. But, yeah, nothing nothing too crazy uh, on the air wing side of things. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right, now uh, let's, let's make the transition back home. All right, we're back on the block. We come back, we go to school, and you fall in love with homelessness or you fall in love with making a difference in the specter of homelessness. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, it was one thing that I learned in the Marine Corps was that I really enjoyed the service, and I felt, you know, like the team environment, the camaraderie, and the, like, commitment to do more for others was really important. And, you know, to, to take it back to Daniel, to be really simple, I, I feel like sometimes I'm living on borrowed time um, that, that could have been somebody else's, right, and that I owe it um, in a lot of ways to, to pay that debt or to – to fill that gap. You know, when I, when I think about folks who 
didn't come back. It's not just one person that's missing. It's a it's a family and it's a community. And when you really add up all the, the ripple effects uh, of somebody who either doesn't come back or comes back injured, um, it, it really affects the entire country. And so I really felt like I needed to do something to, to not to compensate, but to, to make it whole, right? To like, to, to bring more back and, and to continue my service as much as possible. Um, living in Columbia, South Carolina, um, a, a, you know, not a, not a large homeless population uh, compared to some of the other major metropolitan areas, uh, but got to know through some friends um, around the University of South Carolina who would do, you know, street outreach uh, for folks who were living unhoused. Um, and do you know take meals down to the parks and just kind of hang out and, and and treat people like people, right? Um, that it doesn't really matter what your what your housing situation is, but we're we're all people and kind of in this together and trying to get through every day. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that, and it was like a so it was just kind of a natural fit um, when I moved out to Colorado. Uh, same thing, just became friends with folks who were kind of in the industry uh, or in the fields. Uh, you know, one um, happy moment was that uh, my future wife, who I didn't know that at the time, uh, happened to be a, a policy analyst for the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. And um, little did I know, she was trying to spend as much time with me as possible. So she said, hey, the coalition's hiring this this case manager position, you know, it's a temp position, but you should check it out. And, you know, lo and behold, I would find out later, she just wanted to be able to make out with me during the day. So, um, which, you know, there's a perk, right? Uh, but know much about it. But I knew that if I showed up every day, and if I listened to people, and if I, you know, tried to find as many resources as possible, and, and make those connections, that I would be doing something. And lo and behold, I, I turned out to be, I think, pretty good at it. Um, moved up in, in positions pretty quickly just through, you know, offering to do more and always wanting to go kind of the extra mile. So moved from a case manager to a coordinator and eventually to a program manager um, with, a, with a bunch of staff and, uh, who were serving uh, very high caseloads case of, of homeless families um, or families at risk of homelessness and just, just fell in love with it from there, right? And, and being able to see the connections is, is really important between the work that you're doing, whether that work is in, you know, trying to maintain a budget or, you know, the logistics of what the housing program is um, or even what the requirements are of the funders, right? So all that stuff can be really intimidating to a lot of people, and especially people in the social work field who just want to work with people, right, who just want to, like, sit down and talk and, you know, make, like, human connections. Most of those folks don't really want to hear about, you know, 24 CFR Part 5 from the Federal Register and what that means. But I see the connections between that funding requirement, uh, whether it's federal funding, state, local, or even private foundations that are doing the funding, and what the strings are attached of if you can do a really good job, then you can get more funding and you can make a bigger impact. And I've, I've just been able to kind of make that translation, make those connections. And, and so it's always been a really good fit for me. Michael, that is so awesome. And you've managed to kind of navigate the boring part, the paperwork filling out part, so that the greater mission can get accomplished. And that That's is right. reaching out and touching lives and touching people. And I know a lot of the people that uh, lives are changed are, in fact, homeless veterans. And uh, just in my 
brief volunteering, um, you know, I've worked with my local shelter uh, in my neck of the woods, and I always found it interesting when 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 I started doing it. I I did it as a full time job for one year, and they wanted to make sure I liked the job, so they had me work in this shelter uh, through a night. And you know, they asked me the next day, they're like, "What do you think? Do you think you want the job? You know, I mean, are you okay with this?" And and I, you know, as a vet, I just was like, "What." Man, I'm a veteran for one, and two, I worked in rock radio, and all these, like, scary Jesus bearded guys, man, they're just like, you know, the guys I saw in rock and roll at the concert, man. I mean, heck, he's seen Jimi Hendrix in concert, you know? And it was like, I just felt a connection to him, so I can see how you can be drawn to that, because, uh, you know, rolling up your sleeves and helping, I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's uh, you make a great point. <clears throat> Veterans are definitely at risk. Um, especially minorities and female veterans are at much higher risk for homelessness um, than the general population. But a lot of communities have now built a system where if they can identify someone uh, who's a veteran who's fallen into homelessness or uh, lost their housing, they can be immediately, almost immediately, rapidly rehoused. Uh, And I think that's really important. And again, it goes back to having to like be able to cut through the red tape and, and see the connection between doing the boring stuff uh, and getting somebody housed and, and what an impact that can have on, on their lives. Right on. Now, you didn't just keep your ripple here domestically within you know the United States and helping homeless, as if that's not enough. I mean, good Lord, that's, that's great. But you even went global with the ripple you created, and you did it through a weird combination of mountain climbing and hanging with NFL players – and I would imagine the year you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, you also were alongside some people from a football team that I, I can't say I'm a fan of, the Philadelphia Eagles. But I believe in 2017 they would have been was Super Bowl, Super Bowl ch- champion, champion. It's hard for me to say, Super Bowl champions. Yeah, yeah, I understand nobody's perfect. <laughs> I'm a Redskins fan, damn it. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Tell me about how the hell you ended up climbing Mount Kilimanjaro alongside of NFL players. Yes, I, I think it was uh, probably uh, 2017 that I, I came across uh, the story of a Marine veteran, Kiersey Ennis, uh, who was uh, above the knee amputee, uh, lost her leg in combat in, a, in an accident uh, during a deployment. Um, and was really inspired by her. You know, I've... I've <laughs> Every year I have to remind myself of how long it's been since I've been out. And I, I got out of the Marine Corps in uh, 2006. Again, like not great at math. Uh, so I always have to check myself on that. But um, as you can imagine, you know, the waist starts to expand. You start to slow down. You're right, uh, yeah. happily married uh, with two kids. Uh, and you feel like going out for a, a 5K run every month or so is going to be enough to keep you in shape, but uh, somehow that doesn't do it. But anyway, following Kiersey's story um, and seeing the kind of just tremendous work that she puts in uh, every day was really inspiring for me, um, not only for myself physically, but also to see the work she was doing. So she was on the, the 2017 Waterboys Conquering Killy Climb, uh, in Mount, uh, in Tanzania for Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, and I just thought, wow, I, you know, really want to have the opportunity to do something like that. That's incredible. And I, my wife and I at the same time joined our local, uh, CrossFit gym, uh, and it's had a tremendous impact on our lives. Man, that's so interesting. Cause as I told you earlier, uh, I'm doing a documentary right now and Kirstie Ennis is one of the subjects of it. And you told me, yeah, that, uh, seeing her doing the deadlifts in the gym as she's preparing 
to summit Mount Kilimanjaro with this climb with the Water Boys organization and conquering Kili. Yeah, that definitely drove your fat butt to get back into the gym because you're seeing, whoa, here, here's this here's this badass Marine chick. She's climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, 19,000 feet with one leg. And look at me. What am I doing? I mean, I can't, yeah. you know, I can't climb my local Walmart. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And so I, you know, we really, you know, my wife and I both, you know, transformed ourselves. And and then I felt like, okay, well, maybe I can apply for this thing uh, through the, the Conquer Killy campaign. And lo and behold, got it and was so fortunate. I felt really fortunate to do that. And uh, so you were part of the 2018 like the fitness, class? Uh, it's, it's no joke. Everybody said, oh, you're, you're climbing. And I was like, no, it's, it's like a walk. You know, it's not technical. I'm not going to have to tie myself in or anything. Uh, but lo and behold, it was quite, quite an obstacle. I, I've, and I asked some of the guys on the team this year, you know, to agree with this or not, and I think everybody agreed. It was physically one of the hardest things we've ever done. Now, you were in the, what, 2018 class? So what players were in your class? Yeah, so I was 2019. Uh, we had a couple active players. Chris Long, obviously, uh, it's his, uh, the Chris Long Foundation is uh, does all the work behind the Waterboys mission, uh, and so Chris is an active eagle. Uh, but we had a couple other folks, Jason Kelsey, uh, active center for the Eagles and was also on that Super Bowl team uh, from two years ago, along with Chris. Uh, David Vibora, a, a couple. So it's a mix of players who are uh, active. Bo Allen is the other active player uh, on our trip. But Cortland, uh, Cortland, David, Rob, uh, just a great group of guys uh, with you know, past experience and current experience. So it was an incredible mix, you know, just to, to hang out with those guys. Um, and not to mention the, you know, the, the seven combat veterans that were on the team. That's amazing. And overall, now we talk about the mountain climbing and we talk about, uh, you know, the player association, but there's a purpose behind it. Yeah. So the goal is to bring uh, clean water to, to East Africa. And that goal is uh, pretty incredibly expanding. You know, Chris started it just four or five years ago with a goal of funding 32 wells. So these are uh, solar-powered deep-bore water wells in a part of the world that just has no access to clean water. You know, and, and we got to see that up close and personal. But the, the goal originally was 32 wells funded, uh, and so one representing each NFL team. And fast-forward five years, uh, and the foundation, the Water Boys, have now funded 59 wells and counting, um, and have expanded to include teams uh, from the NBA. Um, and so it's just growing at an incredible rate. You know, Chris Long won the Walter Payton Man of the Year for 2018, uh, and so it was a tremendous platform for him to get up there and be able to spread even further the message and the work of Water Boys. And it's really what why he brings this team together because he could raise the money on his own. You know two-time Super Bowl champion, uh, son of Hallie Long. He's got a pretty good platform, right, to, to get out in front of folks. But he really made it his mission, and it was a really impressive, for me, really impressive display of, of servant leadership, of bringing a team together where that team could then go on to be uh, the advocates for clean water in Africa. Mm. And, you know, I could go on and on about the need over there, but to, to boil it down, there there is no infrastructure uh, even within the cities and then certainly outside of the cities and the rural communities, there is no infrastructure for clean water. Um, and there's a really simple solution, which is put in these solar panel deep bore wells 
that bring up clean water, uh, and it has just an unbelievable impact on, on the entire community out there. The work is expanding from Tanzania into Kenya and beyond, uh, and it's just been a joy to be a part of it. That's so cool. And I think the maybe unintended consequence or maybe like a, like, like a sidebar sort of consequence of the trip is that it's cathartic for the veterans that go on it too because yeah. there's something about doing that as a group and in my conversations with Kirsty, I know that you know there was just something about scaling those mountains and doing it together, uh, you know that that brought back that sense of tribe. Yeah, and it's and you see that with the the NFL players as well, right? Like they feel very much like a tribe as well. Um, and it's it's just so fun, even just to sit and watch, like you know, a veteran telling an NFL player about his experience, and then the NFL player telling the veteran about his experience. You know, Dave Vibora. Uh, who was out on the trip with us. He's incredible, um, and I, I'd certainly recommend you talk to him. He's uh, got three generations of Marines in his family uh, and through the Adaptive Training Foundation out in Texas is doing just amazing work uh, with veterans and athletes from all walks of life. Um, and, and Q, uh, Philip Quintana, uh, who was in our class along with Dave, Dave, Dave and Q trained together for the trip. Um, Q is an above-the-knee amputee as well. Um, and so just so impressive to, to be out there with them. But, yeah, it's definitely, like, an incredible way to reconnect. And, again, it's been 13 years since I've been out. So everybody's kind of gone their separate ways, and you have families, and you get busy. But having that, you know, 10, 11 days together in Tanzania with a mission amongst veterans and this other, like, tightly-knit group, of NFL players just just brought a lot back and it's it was a great reminder of you know needing to pursue more opportunities to do that to engage with veterans and to engage in in chances to to bring veterans into other community groups right on and I think we'll leave it right there Micah Sneed man your ripple is worldwide and you're from the city of brotherly love now and it only makes sense because uh, you're spreading the love around everywhere man from Africa to the homeless communities uh, here in America and uh, just uh, great work man I'm proud to say you're a fellow combat cam guy and uh, you were a you know, fighting the hard fight as a Dinfos journalist on the front lines. Hey, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, Dinfos train killers. We got to stick together. Um, and again, it's it's just great to have like a mission that you can feel really good about. And, and having seen the work out there, uh, seeing the impact on people's lives, you, we can have such a, a big impact. And if you feel so small, like just a drop in the bucket um, when you're just working by yourself. But when you when you find a mission that everybody can get behind and everybody can support that has such an immediate impact. Uh, it's a great feeling. And so it's, it's really, it's my honor to be a part of it uh, and to be able to talk about it with others. So I really appreciate it. Truly an honor. And if you want more information about conquering Keeley and uh, the water boys organization, check it out at waterboys.org. And there you'll find links to the Chris long foundation and some cool pics of Micah Sneed and his adventures. Now, if you want more episodes of the CV Report, you can check it out at ConnectingVets.com. They're all there. You can also find them on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere you find podcasts. Just click like and subscribe and feel free to follow us so we can always let you know when a new episode drops. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll be looking for the next inspiring story to share with you on an upcoming episode of the CV Report.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.